Alrighty, welcome back. We've got another edition of the Final Mile where we answer your questions. Uh, to check out all of our content, please check out the Freight 360 webpage. It's Freight360.net. There's a full library of free content. And check out the Freight Broker Basics course to get a uh, more information about our full-length in-depth training on how to start and grow a successful brokerage. And please, to support this channel, check out our sponsors in the description box or show notes, depending on whichever platform you are consuming this. All right, first question comes from Honor. Honor asks, I'm trying to weigh my options. I want to do both freight brokering and dispatching, but I'm not sure which one to start with. Ben, I think you mentioned, did you already, did you talk to somebody about this before? I did. I've talked to a few people. We've gotten this this question quite a few times, so not the first time I've fielded it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my take, if it's me, I don't know that, I think that freight brokering is probably a more, well, okay, there's pros and cons, all right? So let's just lay that out. I'm, I'm going to let you make your own decision. But the good thing about freight brokering is that it's been a um, established, regulated industry for 40 plus years now, right? Whereas there's a lot of scrutiny under the independent dispatching model right now, as far as what is a bona fide agent and uh, what requires an authority and what doesn't. If you're directing the flow of freight from um, one carrier versus the other, you might need an authority. So there's a lot of like gray area scrutiny and possible oncoming legislation over it. Um, so that's the, the benefit to brokering versus the downside of dispatching on the flip side. The sales process is likely, I've never been an independent dispatcher, but it seems much easier, right? Your job is to find freight is go to a load board or connect with a broker, right? You've got to be able to sell yourself to a carrier to provide services to them. Um, Whereas with a freight broker, we're, we're cold outreach, cold calling a bunch of manufacturers and shippers out there. So, um, I think both have a place in the world. I think freight brokering, in my opinion, is a little harder to get into, but I think long-term is a greater uh, business model to grow an operation, grow an entire business, uh, and sustain for the long-term. What do you? What's your take? Yeah, I think it starts with what your needs are and what your wants are, right? Like, what do you need and what are you trying to achieve? And also, thirdly, in what time frame, right? To your point, I think you're far more likely to get probably a customer or two as a dispatcher pretty quickly. You've got no insurance costs. You've got no registration. Like, you literally just can make phone calls to a trucking company. Now, the downside, right, is like, Regulation is now starting to come through. So, I mean, most of the advisement that I've read is that, like, you can only really work with one company. Um, I mean, technically, I guess you can work with different trucking companies if there is some differentiation amongst them. It's not regulation. That's just guidance. Guidance, for sure. Right. So, to me, I do think, again, just like with many things, it's easier to probably get into. I think there's lower margins, meaning you'll likely make less money. Right. I think there's more competition because there's more people that can get into it easily, right? And and I think for those reasons, right, like to me, yes, you can get into it faster, but the long-term viability of that business is very risky because if the FMCSA does pull in some more regulation as they're trying to tamper down fraud, one of the areas they're absolutely looking at are dispatchers, right? Because again, they're really unregulated and there's just guidance. So to me, 
The long-term risk is very high for a dispatcher. The short-term success is probably a little higher than a freight broker. So if you really want to start a new career or to have a sustainable business, to me, freight brokerage is far more solid, more sustainable, and likely to work in both an up and a down market. Like Dispatchers have a much harder time getting a carrier to want to pay them for their services now because rates are at a place that like they really can't afford to pay for much help and still have enough money to cover all their expenses. So to me, I I think that's a very difficult nut to crack right now. Yeah, I agreed. So pick your poison. There's pros and cons to both. Um, Some would say they don't want to be in this industry whatsoever. They've, you know, they're sick of it, but there's the sick souls like us that uh, we do it day in and day out. So next question um, related to dispatching. April asks, how can I find people to help dispatch our sprinter vans? We have our own authority. Okay. So now we're looking at the other side of the equation here, right? Now you've got a, a motor carrier or a trucking company. In this case, they've got a fleet of sprinter vans looking for a dispatcher. Um, the, uh, the sarcastic answer, and this came from our producer, Stephen, was just go on our Facebook page, right? Because there's always people saying, yeah, um, hey, I'm sure. a dispatcher, right? But the reality of that statement is you've got to be in a place where dispatching services are hanging out. Whether that is you're calling them because they have their phone or realistically, like they're in online forums, whether it's a, yes. our Facebook group. Um, or various other ones, right? I've seen them on Reddit. I've seen them on um, other Facebook groups besides our own. But what I would say is that's a great way to ex- get, get exposed to dispatching services or dispatchers. Do some great, diligent research and um, vetting of these services because you don't know how experienced they are. They may not know the ins and outs. And especially if you're dealing with a Sprinter van, they might not have access to load boards that have sprinter van freight, you know, they might just have DAT. DAT can handle sprinter van and box truck, but there are niche load boards like Selectus from Nami Tracks that is, that's like their niche, right? That is yep. it, really what they they make their uh, name or their, their case for. So um, you got to be in a place where they are. It could be online forums, make some phone calls, but I I really think it's a lot of it's going to be online social media at this point. I don't know of any other ways to find dispatchers um, if they're not already soliciting you, but Ben, what's your take? Agreed. Right. And I think again, right. This goes to the the first question, right? Like if I'm a trucking company and I want a dispatcher, right? Like there are things that I want to make sure they're experienced and right to your point, do they understand equipment types? Do they understand different equipment types? Do they understand my equipment type? And I would want all three of those to be a yes. How long have they been doing this? If it's a few months, no. If it's a few years and they've got a successful track record of working with other companies in my equipment area right now, I'm going to consider it. But again, you kind of run into this other issue of like, if they do have experience and they have other clients that are similar to you, what makes you think they're going to prioritize your trucks over the trucks that have been working with them, right? So these are the questions I would really want to dig into and to understand from a trucking company's point of view, if I'm asking a dispatcher interviewing them, like, why do you want to work with another company? How do you feel about what's going on in the industry? Are you working with other companies like mine? And why is it helpful to have another one? You might have a scenario where like they've got customers or brokers they work with that have far more demand than they have trucks for okay, great. Like that's helpful. Maybe it's just because they want to be able to generate more revenue for their business and they'll take anybody that'll work with them. Right. 
you know, less points for that answer. So ask a lot of questions before you jump into any of these agreements. Yeah. And I think one of the, um, say what you want about dispatchers. There's some, there's some benefit to them if they're doing it right. Like for example, if I'm a truck driver, if I'm an owner operator and my goal is to maximize my drive time and my mileage. And I want to, I want to be peaking at 11 hours a day out of 14 hours. Right. If I want to do that, I'm likely, and I want highest paying drive time. I'm going to need somebody that's not myself scanning the market, like tapping into Mm -hmm. that. And that's worth a 5% commission to me. For sure. If I make an extra 20% and I got to pay five or 10% of that to a dispatcher to get that business, well worth it. So, yep. Those are things as a carrier, you can ask the dispatcher, like, what do you, what are you doing to find me the things I'm looking for? So, all right, next question. This one's good. Robbie asks, are shippers driving down the rates, which lowers the broker's profit margin? Um, So I want to take a minute here to talk about what actually is affecting freight rates. So let's go back. 2021 is probably a great example, right? Let's go like the the second half of 2021 when everything was hot, rates were super high. Um, It was really hard to get a truck. So supply and demand is like the easiest way to describe what impacts rates in our industry. Supply is the supply of available trucks. We call it capacity. Demand is the amount of freight that's being, you know, that has a demand to ship, right? So when supply and demand are equal, that's your equilibrium. If you've taken an economics class, is it economics, right? Yeah, economics class, you'd yes. see like the curves and whatnot, and where they hit is the, the um, your equilibrium point. It's your base price. Now, if the supply of trucks is lower than the demand, which is what we saw two years ago, right? So if demand is above supply, you're driving price upward, right? Shippers will pay a premium to get their hands on a truck, to get that truck to pick up their customer's order. On the contrary, what we're seeing now, the demand to ship goods is lower than an average market, but the amount of trucks hasn't depleted to come down to equilibrium. We have an excess amount of capacity or supply. Therefore, your rates are going to naturally fall lower, right? If truck, and that's not because the customer is the one demanding lower rates. Those are the available trucks fighting to get their low their trucks loaded. So the reality is, it's actually carriers that are. I don't even want to say they're driving the rates down. It's it's the economy and supply demand. But the first player in that equation is the carrier that takes the load for less than the next guy because they want to get their truck loaded, right? That's in a nutshell. Do you want to add anything to that? Because I want to talk about what's caused the demand or the the uh, demand to go down, but anything you want to add to that? Yeah, there's just two. I mean, there's really two variables, right? The number of loads being moved in the United States and the number of carriers that can move them, the number of power units, right? And if you had a flat line of loads, meaning the number of loads didn't change every day all year, the more trucks in the market, the cheaper things get. The less trucks they would get, the more expensive they would get. If you had a constant volume of freight every day, right? And the same thing is on the other end, right? If you had the same number of trucks and they never changed, the more freight that came in the market, the more expensive the loads would be, 
the less freight, the less there are. It's just where those two lines intersect, right? And they're always changing, right? The number of loads on any given day and week is changing constantly by what we buy and what we import and what we move. And the number of trucks that can sustain this market, right, is determining how many are going bankrupt or leaving to go into other businesses, right? Yep. Those are the two main drivers. So what impacts the, Only drivers, the, the demand, right? We'll talk a micro level first, then we'll hit the macro level. So on a micro level, think of a hurricane or uh, produce season kicks off in a certain area um, or uh, the economy just reopens after or, you know, economy shuts down or just reopens, right? You're going to have a, a a drastic, unusual either demand or lack of demand to ship a good, right? Hurricane is coming in. Nobody wants to ship anything while it's there, right? And or they so they want to ship a lot out before it hits. They don't want to ship it out while it's hitting, and then they want to ship more stuff out afterward, um, right? Produce season before citrus is shipping out of uh, Florida. There's not a whole lot to ship out of out of Florida, right? Produce kicks off in the beginning part of the year, and boom, we need a whole bunch of trucks down here. Um, the pandemic uh, shuts down businesses for a month and a half, two months, right? There's legally people can't be working because they're not deemed essential, right? Okay, the economy reopens. Oh my gosh, we got to make all this stuff. We have to produce all these goods that people want, and you know we need to get trucks in here. Those are the micro, semi-micro things that affect or impact the the freight economy um, in the short term. Now, the long term, right? It wasn't just the the economy reopening in 2020 that caused the expansion in demand. It was things like low interest rates for companies, right? And the um, what was it the P- PPP? Well, like all government funding, it, it was government money being yes. injected into the economy. Well, and the the direct result, too, of that is once everybody was at home and couldn't spend money on services, meaning like normally, if you looked at a big pie, a family spends, call it 30 or 40 percent of their budget to buy things, TV, stuff for your house and food that you pick up and clothes. And then you spend some portion of your budget going to restaurants or concerts or vacations when nobody could go to any of the service related categories concerts, vacations, anything outside your home, a bigger portion of everyone's budget bought more goods. And when everybody bought more stuff with more cash and had nowhere to go, the number of trucks needed went through the roof because that was a temporary spike from a thing that happened outside of the market, right? Like everybody stayed home. Everybody did something different for a year. That changed the amount of goods needing to be shipped significantly like the highest it's ever been and it will never go back to that number because well hopefully if we're not all locked in our houses again we're all still going to spend and again that's why you're seeing a lot of the money in the economy right now going to still vacations and travel because they said there's pent up demand from the two years that nobody could do that so people went to go visit family they haven't seen in three or four years and to do the things that they had wanted to do but had put off right so now you're seeing less goods because we bought more goods temporarily. So now you're seeing shipping volumes fall below where they normally would be for the United States. And it's more than just that, right? The government money being sent out to individuals and businesses has been cut off. Interest rates have gone up, which makes capital more expensive to get your hands on as a company to produce and reinvest in your company. And um, on top of all that, inflation from everything that happened the past few years has made stuff more expensive. So the cost to obtain goods 
is more expensive. Therefore, there's less. I mean, that's now you're talking supply and demand on consumer buying. But either way, all these things combined cause the demand to ship to decrease below significantly below where it was a year, two years ago. And that is what it is, right? And the supply of trucks has slowly windled down because companies go out of business, right? You can't, I mean, the demand and the supply are like, demand can change overnight. Supply of trucks takes a long time. It takes six months on average to get like a class eight truck order in. Um, To downsize a trucking company or to go out of business, I mean, they're going to probably try and do everything they can to stay profitable before they shut their doors and then somebody might buy up their assets. But you have, I mean, that's going to slowly, slowly come down. Um, but I think what you'll see is you'll see the the demand to ship go back up and then meet that um, meet or even exceed possibly in the next year that uh, capacity. So we'll see. Nobody knows. There's been all these, uh, you know, crystal ball predictions out there, but that is what actually causes rates to go uh, down, not brokers being greedy, as we often hear from people on uh, TikTok and uh, Facebook and everything else. So I rest for sure. All right. Lisa asks, how do I find a surety bond company for a broker? Uh, You can Google surety bond companies. I will also say TIA has the TIA bond program, so you can go to them. Um, it's just an insurance product. So go to any insurance broker or, you know, go to your insurance provider and ask them about it. Uh, TIA, I know, like I already mentioned, they've got a reputable bond program, uh, so you can check them out. But pretty simple. Just go to an insurance provider. That's pretty much it. Um, where does the bond cost come from? It's going to be... Uh, a variety of like looking at like your your personal credit. It's going to look at um, uh, like business credit, a whole bunch of things. We tend to see like fifteen hundred to three grand a year for your premium on your bond on average. So, all right. Lastly, Michael asks: Say I was a broker looking for experienced agents with a transferable book of business. I don't want to be able to verify their book of business is legit before I offer them a really high commission split. Anyone have any bright ideas as to how to go about respectfully verifying their book is what they say it is while also honoring their desire to not give away their customers. Well, first of all, if anyone is an experienced agent looking to move their book of business, come talk to me at Pierce for Wide Logistics. But I've dealt with this over the years many times, right? If you get someone that's going to come over with a book of business, whether they're a W-2 that wants to move to your company or a 1099 agent or even a... Um, a licensed broker that wants to give up their authority. I've seen all three instances. Um, one of the things, and there's like intuition that comes into it. I can tend, if I talk to somebody um, on, in a conversation on the phone or in person, you can usually tell within like a few minutes if they're the real deal or not, depending on like what they're talking about, how they're phrasing things, the detail of their, of their conversation. Um, I've, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe got hired at a brokerage. They were there for three months, got let go because they didn't produce. And um, they don't have the knowledge yet to really have a conversation that's intelligent enough to to show that they're experienced and have a customer base. So there's that intuition part of it. That you can't really just like plug and play or there's no like magic pill. It just takes time. But a reasonable way, if you're going to offer somebody, um, you know, this guy's, I think I was reading the comments under this one. It came from our Facebook group, but like, if you're going to offer somebody like 70% and pay for their technology and give them a TMS and give them an email and let them represent your company's name, 
um, yeah, you should do your due diligence. I run background checks on people. Um, you know, you get some bad eggs that come through the cracks, but uh, verifying a book of business, uh, have them show you a report. Like, hey, I want to see, uh, you, you know, show me your last month's numbers. And it's not to like call them out. It's more so I want to get an idea of the volume of your business, who your customers are, their margin, right? Because if we have to make a credit decision on a certain customer and all I see is a, you know, an objective credit report on them, I want to see what your profit margin is on them, right? If they, maybe they're slower to pay, but we see we're getting 18% margin on them. You know, that's a, that's a good customer to look at. Um, I don't, I don't personally ask for this from every single person that I've ever brought in as a new agency for uh, my company. Um, but it is a, it is a realistic way to go about doing business. I put NDAs in place. If somebody's worried about sharing their, their business, uh, their customers' names and, and their business numbers and things like that. But if you're really gonna if you're gonna really um, onboard a new agent, it shouldn't be seen as hiring somebody. It should be seen as it's a partnership, right? We're we're literally expanding our presence as a company by partnering with this agency or this branch who's going to bring their expertise and customer base in, and in return represent our company, our goodwill as a organization, and utilize all of our um, back office and expertise when it comes to mentorship and what do I do here, there and everything in between. Um, so if someone's offended about you asking for their list of customers or a report of their business volumes, it could be a red flag if they can't produce it. Like everyone should be able to show a commission report, a TMS report, a pay stub, um, it, something, some kind of statement that shows some sort of business volume or, or list of customers. So hope that helps. Sure. Well, here's the other you question, know, right? Like, you want to make well, sure that legitimately, not- yeah, legitimately one, I want to know that one, we're going to credit check their customers and to know whether or not we can extend their customers the same credit lines that they had under their other brokerage, right? Like for sure. And they should want that, right? They yep. should want to know that they can do the same volumes of business with your freight brokerage as the one they've left. And you need to be able to look at the credit references of their companies once they come on board, you're going to get them anyway. So if you're at the point where you're really considering this, like you should be able to do some due diligence on who they are and whether or not, and they should want you to be able to check that that's true. Furthermore, like you also want to make sure there's no conflict of interest with other broker, other agents that have similar customers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's a good because one. Customer saturation. It's huge. You very well might be working with the same customer. You could be have a conflict where your company has two or three overlapping accounts, and that might not be a problem, but it's definitely a conversation you want to have prior to them being part of your organization as well, right? And to me, <clears throat> the questions are really going to help you understand it to your point. Like, what are some of the questions you ask in those conversations Like, to help uncover? Like, what I ask is like, how did you get these customers? Tell me about how you go about this. Yeah, I don't I understand very, if they actually did. I have a very relaxed conversational discussion with people. Um, I, do, I very, very rare. Well, I'll tell you this. Like when I first got into the agent side of the business, one of the things that I did to understand what was out there and how other companies operate is I legitimately reached out to like 20 different companies that had agents and I just pretended to be somebody like I just gave a fake name. And I went through there, I like basically vetted their company. And what I quickly realized is that oftentimes a freight brokerage that has agents has a recruiter that has no experience in freight, right? Their only job is a recruiter. They've never been a salesperson. They've never, they've never worked in logistics or transportation. Um, 
that's not the case with me. I, I have a background in, in transportation and transportation sales. And um, I do very, very little recruiting right now. Um, but I am that I am that front door if somebody wants to come join Pierce um, as a new agent, right? I've got to I've got to have that conversation and vet them out. So I tend to have a conversation, just get an understanding of who they are, what they're dealing with. I like to understand it's kind of the same way you talk to a customer. Um, you're not just trying to, hey, let me quote a lane for you. You want to know like how how have things been going for you? Like what are some of the issues that they've been facing? Um, what made that person decide to Why reach do you out to leave? us if they did? Um, it's kind of the same way you'd ask like, Hey, how do you vet a, a new broker to come on as a transportation partner? Um, we'll talk through what, you know, what our expectations are as a company, um, talk through, you know, what, what kind of freight are they typically moving? Do they have any seasonality? What's their experience and background look like? What made them decide to stay in the business this long and not give up? Like, you, you know, I, I'm not, saying like, who's your customers? What kind of volume do you do? What's your days to pay on them? What's your margin? I just want to get to know them as a person. Cause I might find out that before we even talk numbers, I just, I'm not, I'm butting heads with this person and it's not a good, we're not vibing. And I don't want to like, even though they might be profitable, I, I don't want to spend my time working with that person day in and day out, regardless of their profitability. Cause it's just not worth that. For sure. Right. Yep. I'm more on that subjective conversational uh, vibe. And when that's all good, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about numbers and whatnot, but I can usually tell someone will usually tell me their numbers before I have to ask. And I have to, if I have to ask, it's very like soft, you know, like, Hey, how did, you know, how, how's your, uh, how's profits been for you? And you know, the last 12 months as things have changed, right. It's nothing specific, just kind of like open-ended. Tell me about it. And they'll usually divulge and um, they usually they either check the box or they don't. So that's how I go about it. Yeah, I think that's great. Right. Same thing as me. Like, I, I think it's far more important, the kind of person and the character opposed to really most of the other things they should be like, they should want to, you should be able to get them without much effort. If they are, to me, it's a red flag. Character to me is probably one of the most important things I found in business relationships throughout my life is whether they're good or bad at somebody, I care that the person is ethical and honest and does what they say they're going to do when it's hard to do, not just when it's easy, right? And in those scenarios, that tells you really who you're going to get into business with, right? Exactly. So good stuff. If you are an agent looking for a new home, you can come to me at Pierce for Wild Logistics. You can always talk to Ben and uh, you know we'll, uh, we'll take care of you, find you the, right, the best fit. Any final thoughts, sure. Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.